How's it going? You are listening to Today in Gaming Yesterday. I am your host, Emma Pearl, and I am so excited this week to dig into March 2000, as well as discuss with you my deep dive into translucent technology, known as the clear craze. We're going to talk about what that looks like, the impact of that, how we see it today, and more, so stay tuned. Let me take you back again. It is such a busy week for me right now. I'm having a really good time. Everything I have going on is exciting and good. I'm just doing a lot of stuff. I'm actually recording this on Thursday. I typically try to record these on Tuesdays. Those are days that I don't stream. Um, I do stream over at Twitch, twitch.tv slash Emma Pearl. Um, if you don't know me, my name, as mentioned earlier, is Emma Pearl. A lot of people call me EP. I am a retro collector, enthusiast, streamer, uh, evangelist, I might say sometimes. Uh, I think there's a lot of value in retro video games and um, a lot of value in remembering them and playing them and appreciating them, as well as the time period that they came from. The Whether that's the early 2000s, the 90s, whatever that time period looks like for a game, I think there's such value in digging into that. So I'm so excited to jump into March 2000 with you today and then deep dive into the clear craze. I am so stoked about that. It's, it's going to be really fun. Um, a few housekeeping things. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope, you know, whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on, please rate, review, follow. Uh, it's super duper helpful, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast, please, please do rate, review, and tell your friends. Um, if you happen to be watching this on YouTube, please, please subscribe. Um, even if you're not watching on YouTube, subscribe on YouTube. Oh, uh, we're in the push to 100 subscribers on YouTube to get a custom URL for the channel, which would be super sick. Uh, it's free cost zero dollars to subscribe on YouTube. So please take a moment to do that. You would have my deep, deep appreciation. Wanted to give some thank yous at the beginning of this episode today. Uh, first thank yous for, for <laughs> gamedeveloper.com. We also have Wikipedia, archive.org, the Nintendo 64 wiki, the Game Boy wiki, autoevolution.com, builtin.com, christies.com. I'm pretty sure it's Christie's. It's a Christie's auction house website. If that's not what that website is, I am legally not liable for that. I'm so sorry. Uh, we're also going to thank the Antiques Roadshow, the Mac Rumors Forums, and macworld.com. And then, of course, retromags.com and retrocdn.net. Excellent resources for the magazines that we dig into on this podcast. So in terms of the order of operations for today's episode, we will be starting with the purchase and rental charts from March 2000. Then we'll dig into GamePro Magazine from March 2000, Nintendo Power Magazine from March 2000, and then our deep dive into gorgeous, stunning, wonderful, beautiful, translucent technology of the... 80s, 90s, 2000s, and maybe some other time periods you may not know of that I've discovered in my research. Because you know, whenever I want to research something, I want to like dig in. I want to know absolutely everything I can find out. So I found out a lot and I'm so excited to share it with you. A lot of things I didn't know and a lot of considerations that I did not have when thinking about this technology. So I'm so excited to dig into that. Let's go ahead and start with the charts. 
the top 10 best-selling games of March 2000. Best-selling game of the month is Pokemon Stadium for the N64. We're going to hear a lot about Pokemon Stadium in both Game Pro and Nintendo Power. So looking at this, I am not shocked. Second place for the month is WWF SmackDown for the PlayStation specifically. Third place, Siphon Filter 2 for the PlayStation. Fourth place, Mario Party 2 for the N64. Fifth place, Gran Turismo 2 for the PlayStation. Uh, sixth place, Tony Hawk Pro Skater for PlayStation. Number seven, we have Resident Evil Code Veronica for the Dreamcast. And number eight, we have Dead or Alive 2 for the Dreamcast. Number nine, WWF WrestleMania 2000 for the N64. And in 10th place, the 10th best-selling game of March 2000, Crazy Taxi for the Dreamcast. Honestly, when we get into Game Pro, we'll dig into how many ads I saw for Crazy Taxi for Dreamcast. So very happy for them. That obviously paid off at least a little bit. Let's talk about the blockbuster hot rentals for the month. On the Nintendo 64, they were recommending Mario Party 2 in the top spot. Number two, Disney's Tarzan. Number three, Donkey Kong 64. Number four, WWF WrestleMania 2000. Number five, Army Men, Sarge's Heroes. Number two, excuse me, number six, <laughs> Toy Story 2. Numbers, dude. <laughs> number seven, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six. And number eight, Ready Two Rumble Boxing. How many twos are we going to see today? Number nine, Battle Tanks Global Assault. And in number 10 spot for Blockbuster's March 2000 Hot Rentals, we have Road Rash 64. Uh, so going into the PlayStation Zone now, in the first spot for Blockbuster's March 2000 Hot Rentals for the PlayStation, we have Gran Turismo 2. And number two, we have the Dukes of Hazard Racing for Home. Number three, we have Tomorrow Never Dies. Number four, Road Rash Jailbreak. Number five, Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. And in number six, Ready to Rumble Boxing. Number seven, Toy Story 2. I swear, how many more twos are we going to have? Number eight, Medal of Honor. Number nine, Crash Team Racing. And in the number 10 spot for the blockbuster hot rental of March 2000 for the PlayStation is Vigilante 8 Second Offense. I still do want to play that game because of the 70s. So March 2000 in general, I... For some reason, for me, maybe it's just the parts of the country I grew up in. I moved around a lot as a kid. Um, I never had, like, co very cool spring breaks. I feel like I spent a lot of time, like, at the daycare that my school had or, like, home alone playing video games, which, like, super not opposed to, you know, as, like, a tween, an older child moment. Um, as a late teen, I would often visit my sister quite a bit um, in Florida, but I did also spend a lot of time playing RuneScape. So much RuneScape in the mid to late 2000s for me. Maybe someday. It's not like super on brand with the podcast, but I just loved playing RuneScape so much. Maybe we'll dig into it someday. Might be fun. But I digress. Game Pro. Game Pro in March 2000. Let me get this puppy pulled up. I always love to have it pulled up to like follow along with my train of honestly brain as I'm going through this um I think recording on a Thursday is like throwing off my brain like just a tiny bit but we're making it work dog we're in we are in so on the cover of this month's game pro is the most gorgeous image of the rock given an elbow to I don't even know who that is okay I feel like I actually know who that is so they're wearing a white shirt they have a mask on. I feel like I've seen this person before. I'm going to like Google a couple wrestling names. 
Okay, it is not that one that I thought. Not that one. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to embarrass myself. WWF wrestler that wears a black mask. Okay, it is not any of these people. What in the heck? Who is this? Who is this man? This is a great mystery. This is the greatest mystery I've ever seen. Either way, The Rock, dude. Excellent. I feel like I remember... I remember the early 2000s and like the moment that The Rock was having. Um, I thought he was super fine. Still do. Great guy. Great looking guy. Uh, also for me, the funniest thing about The Rock was like the fact that he could raise one eyebrow and he would like do it in like a way. Like he grabbed the microphone and be like, and you know that if he was silent, he was like raising his eyebrow and you're like, oh, like that made raising one eyebrow very cool for me, which I actually like then as a kid was like, can I do this? And like my dad kind of taught me how to do it, like showed me how he does it. And I was like, oh my God, I can do it. And now I think I do it inadvertently, like without thinking about it. Um, like if you watch the podcast on YouTube, you'll notice that sometimes my left, my left eyebrow will just like raise up when I'm talking about things. Um, do we have Dwayne the Rock Johnson to blame or to thank, I guess? It's hard to say. But thank you, The Rock, for raising your eyebrow. This month's Game Pro, the letters to the editor are like all given such sassy responses. Like it's hard for me to read them and to digest them for you because they're all just so sassy. The letter from the editor is all about wrestling, of course. Like, the cover is WWF. And it's so interesting when I, like, think about what is happening at Nintendo Power this month that GamePro is like, oh, spoiler alert. Oh, you want to talk about Pokemon Stadium? Wrestling also. Like, very, very interesting choices there. Very good stuff. So the letter from the editor, obviously, wrestling. And I learned a lot, like, reading that letter, too about how game publishers, when it came to wrestling games, would acquire and lose licenses for the different wrestling franchises over time. So you might see like a claim do a WWF game and then they would lose that license and then do a different one. So there was WCW versus WWF versus ECW and they would just move through the publishers, Acclaim, THQ, etc. So it's kind of an interesting thing. And the more I read about it and thought about it for this episode, the more I'm like, I have to do a deep dive on the wrestling video game someday. Like the history of them, how they have made so many of them and how people just keep buying them. I think it's really sick. Also, they mentioned towards the beginning of this that there are the Reader's Choice Awards, which of course we're going to dig into. I'm so excited to talk about it with you. I personally did not find any of the letters to the editor all that interesting this month. There was um, a very long and impassioned message from, and I feel comfortable calling this person a nerd because there are plenty of games that I could get that stoked on and equally be called a nerd. Um, this nerd wrote a very long message about Virtual Fighter and complained about the Game Pro review for it, which like, I respect you. I respect you. I respect that nerdness. I could probably do the same thing for many different games. So mad props to you. I want to say they have this section every every month called Buyers Beware. And I am obsessed with GamePro's stance in this, this section of Buyers Beware about um, a an offensive racial stereotype that was in the Toy Story 2 game for both the PlayStation and the N64. And N64, or excuse me, GamePro's 
actual quote that I can take here from this says, our advice to game pros, meaning the people that play the games, take a stance on anything that's offensive to you. Voice your opinion to game companies, to your local government representatives, to your community, and to game pro. Your opinion counts. Our advice to developers, put more creative thought into video game characters, which like sidebar, absolutely. Like relying on harmful, tired, boring racial stereotypes. It's so uncreative. It's so ridiculous. Um, in, in Toy Story 2 for N64, there's, there's a racial stereotype with like a quote, like they, like a villainous Mexican character, which like is ridiculous. Like, like game pro is saying, like be more creative. Racial stereotypes are not interesting and not cool and not funny. Like do other things. Love it. To continue the quote from GamePro, developers and publishers should be sensitive to their customers. No two people look or act alike in this world. So why should they in video games? Like, oh my God, yes. Like I get nervous sometimes when I consume media from, from honestly any time period. But I feel like, I feel like from the early 2000s, like there was just so much there that was wrong at the time, but people were just saying these things and doing these things. So I was shocked and honestly kind of excited to see GamePro be like, hey, you should give a heck about racial stereotypes being in video games and you should say something and you should tell people that it's wrong. Tell these companies, tell your local government, make your voice heard. Um, I really, really, really love that. And, and it got to the point where Disney had to address it. And they say here also another quote as I'm reading through this. If you see imagery that's offensive, too violent, or that's a negative racial stereotype, you can do something about it. The only reason Disney is making changes to Toy Story 2 is because um, I believe it was a, a community of, um, they they describe them here as like the La Raza community. I'm sorry if I'm pr pronouncing that incorrectly. The La Raza community peacefully protested at the Los Angeles office of Activision, the publisher of the game. They protested this racial stereotype in the game and it put the pressure on and that's people making a difference. So like... Love that. Let's go. Let's go game pro March 2000. Um, I'm just elated about that. And it's excellent that they call that out. There's also a very interesting little blurb about fake Pokemon cards, which I had not even thought of. Like, I feel like there's like some pieces of the news now, especially because the Pokemon trading card game has gotten so intense in recent years for like collectors and opening streams and things like that, that, you know, fake cards are still out there and still making the rounds, but they give really cool tips. Um, like you can, you can see light through a fake Pokemon card, which I didn't even think about or know. And then also they have the quote, size does matter, height and weight differences between real cards and fake cards. So if you're wondering, those are a couple ways to check. There is a Walmart ad in here that I did feel personally attacked by that states, you'll no longer need imaginary friends. Uh, your friends will be your video games. I'm like, I get it. I get it. We talked a bit about violent video games in previous issues, and I didn't realize this. And actually, as a sidebar too, I like Googled into this, obviously, after I read this piece in GamePro. So to, to, to say what GamePro is saying right now, Brazil banned six violent video games. Doom, Duke Nukem, Postal, Blood, Requiem, Mortal Kombat. They all had to be immediately removed from store shelves. And that happened in December 1999. And that happened in Brazil. Uh, retailers were fined $10,000 per day for every day they violated the terms of that and left those games on the shelves. Also, they banned a game in 1997 for similar reasons. And so I, I think I looked into this and this was like old news. Actually, no, wait, scratch that. 
this next part was the old news because they have more more drama in pro news this time saying Canada to Mario I'm gonna butcher this besties parlez-vous francais sucker that is a quote from this uh basically long story short here uh the government of Quebec 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 in Canada, <laughs> they were going to sue Nintendo and Sony if they didn't provide French language versions of their games to consumers in Canada by the end of 1999, which I was like, can they do that? Uh, it's brought up an interesting point, though, that they can't import French language games from France because of the different TV standards that come through in video games. So like the PAL versus NTSC games. That's why they can't just be like, why don't you just get a game that's from France and and take that to, to, to Canada for the people that speak French there. And so I, I wondered and Googled and I found on Game Developer that, quote, the province of Quebec, is that how I say Quebec? Let me know. Keep me, keep me posted on my pronunciation. They withdrew their threat to sue Nintendo and Sony. Uh, the government came to an agreement with the companies and they pledged to offer video game user guides and product warranty information in French. So they weren't like re-releasing all of the games in French. They would just give user guides and information about warranties in French. So that blurb about that was published in Game Developer in February 2000. So like, please Game Pro. The drama is interesting, but you are so behind on the times. But I get it. Publishing schedules and things like that. There is a section in here about the cutting edge, which is like the next gen of cool things that are going to happen. And they do talk about, quote, the virtual music machine, which is Namco and Aerosmith, who were teaming together to make an arcade music game. Um, similar vibes to something like you would maybe know of, like Guitar Hero. Apparently simulation games like that to make music like music simulation games with fake guitars and things like that were already in Japanese arcades at the time of this publishing so like in the early 2000s so VME virtual music entertainment makes PC and Mac software and they worked on this game with Aerosmith quote while reports of the death of coin ops are premature eek I it, that quote made me wonder when the arcade at my local mall from when I was a teen tween mall in Topeka, Kansas. I think it was called pocket change. I'm like, I, and honestly, I think it's still open. It's just not as hype as it was. I'm wondering when they really like kind of started biting the dust though, because it's sad and I love it. Sorry if anybody's watching this on YouTube, my watch started a workout and I truly was not walking at all. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Everyone that's my friend on Apple watch is going to be like cool walk where you didn't go anywhere. So we're getting into the WWF section of this magazine, which is absolutely bonkers. Okay, are you going to tell me who this person is? This this person with a mask? Who are you? Okay, so they have like a leather mask and they have long brown hair. I, I cannot rest. Who are you? Whatever, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. The one thing that I thought was especially cool about this huge feature on WWF SmackDown is that they have the most comprehensive outside of Wikipedia WWF timeline that I personally have ever seen. Um, so it goes between 1963 and November 1999. Uh, and what I didn't know, because I know like a very small amount about professional wrestling, specifically to WWE. It's called the WWE now, right? I'm not like stinky. I, I, I know that. I do know that. Okay. <laughs> 
So they talk about the, the latest news in November 1999 says in a move to hurt Vince McMahon, Triple H marries his daughter, Stephanie, in a quickie ceremony in Las Vegas. And I like I said, I know just enough to know that they actually are married right now in real life. Stephanie McMahon and Triple H. And so I Googled this because I needed to know everything. So they got fake married in November 1999 so that Triple H could could hurt Vince McMahon. And then they actually got real married in 2003. Like, can you imagine getting fake married? Then, spoiler alert, if you're moving through WWF of the early 2000s, they get fake divorced. Sorry. Uh, but then at that point, that's when they got real married and then they wrote her out of that storyline. Um, so my... My ask is a a book about that because that's wild. I don't I don't want to read a book, a book about like their entire lives. I just want a book about that period of time and the experience of that because I think that's wild. So the next big section of the magazine at this point is about the annual Reader's Choice Awards. There's so much here that I tried to give some highlights. Um, it's it's obviously just like a whole huge survey. You take everything, you check off boxes, you mail it in. One ballot per person, one game per category. Results come in July. So y'all better keep listening to the podcast because we're going to get there. We're going to find out who who was the top of the charts in March. They also would randomly select people to win prizes, including a PlayStation 2. Thank you. I'm in. Some of the highlights. Uh, I found this interesting of some of the best action game contenders. Ape Escape which if y'all never played that, I was gifted that for my 30th birthday, which I'm so appreciative of. I'd never heard of that game. The controls are extremely challenging though. Uh, other contenders were army men, battle tanks, bass fishing, which I'm like, that's an action game, baby. That's action. Uh, Vigilante 8. They have different categories. They have different, uh, what's the word? They have different entries for each platform. So like there's like a million different platforms that game was released on. So they have the, for all of them. They have a category for best shooter games, Project Swarm, House of the Dead 2 on Dreamcast, which I actually own and need to play, but I need to play House of the Dead 1 first. That's what everybody says. Uh, Quake, Turok Rage Wars, obviously a favorite of the podcast because of the lore. This is where I also got confused between the difference between an action game and an adventure game. But what do I know? Um, Sonic Adventure on Dreamcast is an adventure game and not action. But Pokemon Snap is an action game and not an adventure game. Cer certainly. If you have logic around that, that will make my brain just go, oh, like hit me up. T-I-G-Y-P-O-D at gmail.com. I'd love to hear it. The RPG sections, mostly Final Fantasy, other games I've never heard of. And this made me very curious about Zelda releases because I'm like, yo, when I think of like an RPG, I think of Zelda, right? Or is that just me? Is that an adventure game or an action game? Who knows? I don't know. Um, Ocarina of Time was released in 1998. Majora's Mask was in 2000 later this year. There were fairly consistent releases almost every year from the N64 into both consoles and handhelds. And the Wii U. Is the Wii U a console or a handheld? Let me know. Let's fight about it. Also, if you're trying to sell a Wii U, let me know. I want one, but it's so expensive. Handheld games are all one category, just handhelds. Kind of whack, if you ask me. Action games are different than, quote, extreme games. Uh, extreme games are things like Tony Hawk Pro Skater, Cool Borders, just skating and snowboarding games mostly. There are racing games and there are sports games. Sports games are bucketed into individual sports. I had no idea there were so many boxing games. There's one, two, three, four, five, six boxing games. Then they have an other sports game section that's like tennis, FIFA, track and field, golf. 
I I liked golf games. Uh, maybe that was just me, but it, I was surprised to not see more golf games. It's just like Mario Golf and Tiger Woods 99. Maybe the later 2000s are when they really picked up and it was like an every year release. Also, Cyber Tiger. We talked about that last episode. They also have a section for arcade games, like coin-operated arcade games, which is fun. And then they have a best PC games as well, which there's not much overlap, which is kind of dope. I will say one thing they have here that is wild to me is a free text section, best console game. Can you imagine the poor intern, whoever they made sort through that? I would lose my marbles. I want to know how many people actually wrote in and did this. I wonder if the data is anywhere. It's really hard to find anything about this, honestly. They had some decent previews, uh, things for like Resident Evil Code Veronica. I am so excited to get into this franchise. I'm going to start the first Resident Evil game remake that was released on GameCube. I'm going to start that next month, next month meeting August. If anyone's listening to this not live or close to recording date, I'm going to start playing that in August 2022, probably on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Emma Pearl. Check it out. It's going to be exciting. Um, they talk a lot about Crazy Taxi for Dreamcast, which for me is like, oh, the Simpsons Road Rage originator. Um, that's basically all it was for me. I really think I should probably just play it, though. And maybe I should, like, deep dive into it because I think it's so interesting. And for me, it feels like a very interesting cultural moment. Um, I didn't want to dig too much into it because of the potential for a future deep dive. But when I glanced at Wikipedia, there were two mild attempts I wrote at Crazy Taxi movies. But there was shockingly no plot there uh they have a really cool ad for crazy taxi in this game or excuse me this magazine where they're like go to the website nerds so i went to the website and i it required flash to view anything and unfortunately in the year 2022 i don't have flash and they had a no flash version of the site um i took a screenshot of it it's all right but the graphics are sick. Like Sega late 90s, early 2000s, like graphical and marketing branding choices. Ooh, that's a chef's kiss, baby. They have a preview of Tony Hawk Pro Skater for the N64. It has absolutely no substance, but it's what the people want. People want to hear about it. So I respect it. Also, they have a pretty in-depth review of Gran Turismo 2 for the PlayStation, where everything gets really good reviews in that one, except for the graphics. They're like, Boo. And it's been a top rental. It's been a top seller for a minute, right? So good for Gran Turismo too. I don't know if I will save this for later. I'll just give you this anecdote now. And if I repeat it later, um, call me out and I will not care. So, you know, so I, I repeat a story from time to time. Um, I actually won a copy of Gran Turismo 3 for the PS2 from a box of cereal. I really did. Um, I entered like a code online. It was like, guess what? You won Gran Turismo 3 for uh, PS2. This had to have been in like what? 2001, 2002. I was living in Kansas at the time. I didn't have a PS2. I didn't get a PS2 until I was like 13 or 14 maybe. Uh, so I gave it to a boy that I had a crush on. Very nice of me. Um, but that's such a gift too. Because I think it was like new at the time. Wow, I was really nice. There is a 2D fighter that they dig into. Marvel versus Capcom. I could not imagine being into this game. It's like, do you want to watch Mega Man fight Captain America? Like, not really, but more power to you if you do, personally. I love that for you. They have a game here 
that's on PlayStation called Road Rash Jailbreak that I've never heard of before. And in this game, you ride a motorcycle and then you're racing people and you can freaking kick people off of their motorcycles while you're racing them. I can't deal with that. I cannot cope with that. That's absolutely bonkers. I love it. I need to try it really bad. And also there's a Jackie Chan game where you're basically just parkouring around and beating people up. Looks awesome. Looks great. I apparently it also has a quote jazzy soundtrack. I want it. Also, yeah, Mario Party 2 slaps. We all knew. Everyone knew. Everyone knew that Mario Party 2 was good, except for the lack of the spinning games. We know about that. Also, Target has so many ads in this in this ep- this <laughs> issue of GamePro. What speed limit? NASCAR Rumble. Like, bonkers. They're, like, so sassy. Like, Target really did a pretty solid rebrand, I feel, as to what they are now. These, these ads are not it at all. They do have a pro strategy guide for Donkey Kong 64, which like I'm eating my words. I said a couple episodes ago that if, you know, if there was a, if there was a Donkey Kong pro strategy guide, I'd probably look at uh, Nintendo Power for that, not GamePro. But what do I know? Uh, people obviously wanted it. And the maps, I will say the maps featured um, to help folks go through this game look super clean, super good. It's very thorough. Also, they have a deep dive into hidden characters and secret moves and combos of Wu-Tang Shaolin style, which I do still want to own so badly. I, f- I feel that we deserve this. We deserve this deep dive into these these combos. And they have such detailed screenshots of everyone doing these combos. Maybe that's why fighting games are hard for me because like combos frustrate me. I can do them in Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. That's about it. That is the extent of my combo ability, personally. With that, I think we are ready for our first break. Uh, that is Game Pro for March 2000. Next up, we have Nintendo Power for March 2000. Keep it locked to the pod you are listening to today in gaming yesterday with me, your host, Emma Pearl. We'll dig into it in a sec. Enjoy this break. See you in a bit. Welcome back to Today in Gaming Yesterday with me, your host, Emma Pearl. I am so excited to dig into this issue of Nintendo Power with you. It is so good. March 2003 was the release of Pokemon Stadium. So that is like the hot goss. That's that's the vibe. We all want to know what's happening with Pokemon Stadium. And Nintendo Power obviously has the scoop. I'm so excited. On the cover, they do have a battle between Mewtwo and Pikachu. Who's going to win? It depends. Uh, is Pikachu a rental or is he trained? We'll dig in. We'll dig into what that looks like. March also must have just been voting season for magazines and for other things. I'm like, are we voting a lot in March? I know we all vote. In, a lot of US people vote in November, whatever. But March also feels like video game voting because Nintendo also has the power awards that you, reader, I, reader, need to vote for for 1999. The player's pulse, I think Nintendo kind of uh, baited people by being like, hey, uh, it's January. Do you want to give us some New Year's resolutions? We'll talk about them in March. Uh, that reminds me a lot of, I've been I've been rewatching Curb Your Enthusiasm. It reminds me of like Larry David being like, stop telling me Happy New Year. Like it's it's the third week of, of January. Stop telling me Happy New Year. So to this Nintendo Power, I say, stop trying to set resolutions. It's March. I digress. Quote, release the dolphin in 2000. I think it should be called dolphin. Nintendo 64 just lacked finesse. Thank you so much, Michael Hartman, for your take via the internet. I I think that that's smart. Finesse. 
an anonymous person from the internet hates Pokemon. That's that's what my notes say. And I am shocked. <laughs> Launch Dolphin with a Super Mario game as a resolution. I am so sorry to tell this person that they absolutely did not. Michael Van Warmer the second. I'm so sorry to tell you they did not do that. They launched with Luigi's Mansion. Like fast forward, spoiler alert. They launched with Luigi's Mansion. Obviously not a Mario game. They did not release... Super Mario Sunshine until July 2002 in North America. And the GameCube was released in North America in November 2001. That's like a solid eight months before a Nintendo release. Yikes. So sorry, Michael. That must have been hard for you. I agree. Somebody had an idea that they should put every NES game on an N64 cartridge. Which is a good idea. But obviously, a licensing nightmare would never make enough money based on the IP that is there, but I do think that that's a good idea. So whoever came up with that as their resolution, you're so correct. This, <laughs> I, I wrote a lot of notes about this particular one, even though it was pretty short. Quote, start looking ahead to the real millennium issue. Since the millennium starts on January 1st, 2001, blah, 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 blah. Stop right there. If you were that person that was like, well, actually, the millennium doesn't start until January 1st, 2001. Was it worth it? Was it worth it to be that person? I could never care. I, I could never be like, well, actually, like, I, I don't know. Is there, is there a very big reason to, to care? If there is, I want to know. If I'm being flippant about this and I shouldn't be, tell me. I want to know. I need to know. T-I-G-Y-Pod at gmail.com. I don't know why my notes got so sassy about this. My notes are like, did it matter? Who cared? What are you trying to accomplish? Like intense notes from me. And I never get this sassy, but like this letter unlocked something in me where there were like commercials and there were kids at school. It'd be like, actually the millennium. And I'm like, stop it. Let me be excited about the millennium. Oh my gosh. Bonkers. Bonkers. A really, really cute letter in to Nintendo Power also talks about this person's school who had Pokemon Day because they're like, yo, a lot of schools are banning Pokemon, which I wonder if mine did. Um, the schools are banning Pokemon, but mine had Pokemon Day in the cafeteria. They had Poliwag potatoes and Weedles juice, which the ju juice does sound weird. I will agree with that. But the potatoes, that sounds cute. And like, that's such a cute 1993 nine thing this happened on December 2nd 1999 at this person's school um I did remember though this made me like think back to my own elementary school days and like what the what the vibe was with Pokemon at that time I remember we couldn't have game we couldn't bring Game Boys or games to school and like have them out anywhere like during normal school time so basically um if if school wasn't in session but there was like a daycare moment happening like a kids care kind of situation you could bring your Game Boy and all your games. And for some reason, I have like this vivid mental picture of like this jungle gym that was outside, of course, in Florida in 2001 to somewhere around this time. Um, and on this platform was this like green, blue Game Boy color, I'm assuming. And surrounding it were just all of these Game Boy games. And I'm like, whose were they? Whose was that? But I was like, this is good stuff. This is what we need on the playground. We don't need any physical fitness. We need Game Boys. So I don't know why that is so burned into my brain, but it's just like one of those memories that just sticks with me forever. Also, I've never noticed that they do their own power charts for everything Nintendo, which like makes sense, but like, duh, the bias, whatever. 
at this time, Ocarina of Time was still the best-selling game for N64. Uh, it, it is number one. It's been number one. It spent 15 months on the chart at this point in terms of like top selling games. The the more interesting thing that I didn't even write this in my notes, I'm reading this now, GoldenEye 007 for obviously the N64 is in second place and it's been on the charts in like on the charts in general. I don't know about second place for 39 months. That's wild. It looks like also Super Mario 64 is 11 on the charts. It has been on the charts for 42 months. And Mario Kart 64 number 15 39 months on the charts. I love that. Go GoldenEye. Great game. Still never played the multiplayer though. So the meat of this episode, episode, the meat of this issue of Nintendo Power is the Pokemon Stadium review. Obviously it's the most in-depth one we're going to find in any magazine because duh, it's like Nintendo's whole thing. It goes through all the different menus, everything you can do, the Game Boy Tower, the stadium, the lab, the Hall of Fame the kids club, the ever important kids club. It's really where we should spend all of our time, a lot of our time, not all of our time. Even if we are not quote a kid, we should be hanging out there. They have a lot of strategy about how to like build a team, which I think is really cool and honestly pretty helpful. I played this game for the very first time in my life, like playing it actually live on stream. And I am very thankful that people in chat were nice to me and helped me build my team and do my moves because I really should have down. I should have looked up a chart. They have like a chart, you know, you can compare the types. I should have had that. Didn't have that, but it's all good. It's great. Um, and also they talk about they talk about the difference between like rental and trained Pokemon, which is such a brilliant idea that just adds so much to the Nintendo and Pokemon ecosystem. Whoever came up with that, if you know who came up with that, you should like give them a high five, pat on the back. Like they are smart because it really motivates you to play multiple games, do multiple things, obviously purchase these items. It's so wild. Like the moves and the bonus items and the ways that you raise your stats and the game can directly come into Pokemon Stadium. Such a good idea. I'm obsessed with that. Like, does that get enough credit for being such an incredible tie-in? Like it really didn't dawn on me until I was reading through this right now, how wonderful that tie-in is. They show all of the different mini games in the kids club. Do you have a favorite? I don't think I could pick just one. And also there's secrets. Um, there's Pokemon that you're given as rewards for complete different areas of the game. And also this is me like wondering if I'm a big fake fan of Pokemon, which if I am, I don't really care. Um, surfing Pikachu, you learn surf in stadium and transfer it to your Pikachu in the game. And that's how you do the surfing Pikachu mini game in Pokemon yellow, which like, yes, but like, Putting all the pieces together in my brain did not happen until doing this research this week. Apparently you could also get Pikachu to learn surf at some special events. Um, awesome. This, this review in general, this in-depth guide into Pokemon Stadium, like recommending specific rental Pokemon. They have a Gengar in this game's like kind of creepy looking. I'll probably include a picture in the episode guide on Twitter. If you're not following the podcast on Twitter, I post relevant images from these episodes on Twitter. Um, and I'm going to post a picture of Gengar's face because he's, I don't know. I don't know. He's okay. I, I don't know. I don't love, I don't love looking at it, but that's okay. That's fine. It's fine. After we, after we somehow escape the deep, deep, intense information that is so exciting about Pokemon Stadium. We dig a little bit into some perfect 
dark. They have actually a really cool feature, which like I was wondering if they had always planned on doing this feature or if because the game was delayed, they're like, we got to throw these nerds a bone. Like, let's give them some screenshots. And they have like, they have funny little pictures of, I'm guessing, people that work either at Rare, who made the game, or Nintendo Power, and they're, like, in disguises because they're like, ooh, we're, we're infiltrating Rare to, to get stuff about the game. And, like, they have really, really great screenshots. The screenshots, I gotta say, look a little bit better than the actual gameplay, but I, I can't hold that against it. I think that, honestly, I want to play Perfect Dark off stream without the pressure of people watching me. Cause whenever, whenever I play games like this, I get so lost and it's hard when people watch. <laughs> An interesting feature that I was surprised to see in here is a feature on South Park Rally, which I guess is like a kart racing game that is for South Park, but it's rated M. And I, in my mind, Nintendo wouldn't have an M rated game. And so I'm like, how many M rated games did they review in Nintendo Power. I would love to know. And I, I'm going to keep an eye on this because I want to know over time how many more there were because there's just a lot there. Also, if you can hear my dog growling in my lap, he uh, had dental surgery today. So he's very, uh, he's doing his best. He's, um, he's in my lap, just like a, like a, like a big old baked potato, just not able to really do anything. Um, didn't have to get any teeth pulled, though, so that was sick. <laughs> so they have this bowling game that I wanted to mention because it looks really good. It's called um, Brunswick Circuit Pro Bowling. I would like to play it. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Um, they have ads, multiple ads for the N64 colorways, the gorgeous new translucent N64s, which, like, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about that later. So pretty, and they were released in March 2000. It all connects together. You know it all connects together. The Poke Center this month is really, like, not as in-depth and cool as I personally need it to be. Like, the questions that they're asking Professor Oak are like, whatevs, like, okay. Uh, how, do, how do I beat Brock, the first gym leader in Pokemon Yellow, when I have a Pikachu? It's like, come on, you know it. Um, and there's, there's, um... There's like a question that's like, oh, how do I catch an Abra if it always teleports? And honestly, I think I missed a page when reviewing this. That's my B. How is it possible to play with four players on Pokemon Stadium? Uh, play tag team style. Interesting. Also, Pokemon the first movie is coming out on video soon. Oh my God. Will there be a second movie? Bestie, you think they're going to only do one movie for Pokemon? Ooh. Ooh. Also, they talk about how Pokemon Yellow, Charizard can learn fly, but can't learn fly in blue and red, which is very interesting. Very, very interesting. Always interesting to me. Um, there is also some drama, too, because apparently um, Brock's character departed the original crew of the Pokemon cartoon slash anime. So sad. A lot of people submitted very sad and also cute artwork. And I was wondering, I'm like, is there anyone who submitted their artwork to Nintendo power that later like became a professional artist? Like one of these ones that really stands out to me, which I'm realizing now is like a watercolor has Pikachu crying as he walks away from Brock. Like, are you kidding? It's so good. And so if you know somebody who like sent their artwork into Nintendo power um, and now they're like an, an art, they're still making art either professionally or like as a passion, like hit me up. I want to know. So the Nintendo power awards are the next thing from this. I really wanted to dig into. I gotta say 
to if to give you a summary, they do a much better job of making these awards interesting, despite obviously only featuring Nintendo games. They have better, more interesting categories like best story, best graphics, most innovative, best gameplay variety, best mini game, best action, obviously all those things. Um, coolest weapon or move in a game, which if you wouldn't vote for Kirby's swallow attack, I don't know what to tell you, dude. I don't know what to tell you. Best edit mode, best like hero in a game, new hero, most underrated game. These categories are wild. Toughest level and task, which I agree. One of the, one of the things here is photographing Mew in Pokemon Snap. That took me a long time. As a 30 year old woman, that took me a long time. <laughs> and then of course they have best Game Boy game and N64 game. So like I said, they do a really good job of making it interesting despite being like into one, one, console and hardware moment with the handheld and the n64 like they did such a good job they have um you know the the corner for for how to to really dig into some video games how do you woo a wife in harvest moon 64 i still am desperately looking for harvest moon super nintendo please hit me up if you have the hookup i wrote a note here Rayman, he's back in Game Boy Color form, which if you get that reference, um, let me know and I'll give you three cool points. They are not redeemable for cash, but they are cool points. So maybe you want them. I don't know. I'm mentioning it because the graphics of this and the screenshots actually look really decent for Game Boy Color. Like they're teetering on Game Boy Advance level, which I'm like, let's go, Rayman. You don't have any arms or legs, but you are crushing it. Happy for him. Happy. Also, I did want to take a moment to do a quiz, like live on this podcast. I didn't do it while taking my notes. Uh, it's what color N64 are you from the Fantastic series? Okay, I need to like get a piece of paper to write down some answers because there's a lot of questions. There are 11 questions. Okay, so this is the Fantastic color quiz, blah, blah, blah. The options, there's smoke, which like they have smiley faces that are the same color as these that are associated with them. Smoke has like matrix glasses on. It's like gray. Watermelon is like a, like a, ooh, like a red pink and like their tongue sticking out. Jungle is a smiley face with a hat on. <laughs> Ice, they look nervous, but they have some snorkeling gear on. Grape appears to be a purple alien with like big pointy eyeballs. Maybe that's me because of my purple hair. If you're not watching this, you can't tell, but I just got my hair done this week for to get ready for Classic Game Fest this weekend. And it's purple, kind of a bluey purple. So maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a grape main. And then they have Fire, which is a character that looks a little bit dazed. They have Band-Aids and a cross on their forehead. Okay, let's take this quiz. Number one, you dropped baby Bowser's favorite cuddly toy. So he has transported you into Yoshi's story. Oh God. What color are you? Classic green Yoshi, sassy light blue, Invisio, white shy guy, Poochie, limbo shy guy. I'm, I'm sassy light blue Yoshi. So, uh, we have blue has one tally marked because to, to get your answer, you count how many of the colors you picked. Each answer has a, has a letter associated with it, but is a color. It's not confusing at all. Don't worry. Number two, Mario calls and invites you to another one of his famous parties. Oh, shit, shit. You can bring guests. You bring Navi, Zelda, and Toad. Toad knows how to party. <laughs> what? 
Duke Nukem, Turok, and Aiden. Aiden, tell me if I'm a fake gamer. I like to live dangerously. Xena, Gabrielle, and all the snowboard kids. Captain Falcon and Princess Rudo. Racy to the pool. I know it's unlike me, but that Gex guy makes me giggle. As many polygons and sprites as I can jam into my Pokemon beetle. Obviously, um, that color is watermelon. I So I have one for blue and one for watermelon. I'm bringing all the Pokemon to the party at Mario's house. Duh. Number three, you're sitting around a campfire in the Lost Woods with your Kokiri buddies. That's how you pronounce that, right? And someone asks you to play a song on your ocarina. Your first song is Nocturne of Shadow, Bolero of Fire, Scarecrow Song, Requiem of Spirit, Minuet of Forest, and Serenade of Water. Oh, my God. Let's just go with Water, which is blue. Shocking. If Bowser and Ganondorf got in a fight, who would win? If they were racing, I would say Ganondorf. It doesn't matter because I would infiltrate the fighting complex and capture them both. It would be a tie and a great game. That question is illogical, but Bowser's pretty tough. I haven't collected enough superstar banana fun tokens to reach that level. And who cares? The X games are on. Ganondorf and Bowser should shred instead. I kind of like that answer. And that is fire. So I now have one for fire because they should shred because the X games are on. Number five, the weekly poker game's going well until you accidentally knock Mumbo Jumbo's chips over. Enraged, he turns you into A, Kazooie. B, Snacker. C, a cauldron. D, bottles. E, the pink Jinjo. Or F, a little alligator in yellow shorts. What? <laughs> I want to be a little alligator in yellow shorts, which is green. Oh my god, I'm too all over the map. I, I'm never going to complete this quiz in a timely fashion. If you were a Pokemon, which type would you be? Can I be them all? That surfing Pikachu is pretty rad, so I would be an electric type. I feel like I don't even need to read the rest. Uh, psychic, ghost, blah, blah, blah. Surfing Pikachu is pretty rad. Uh, I think that's fire. I think. <laughs> Number seven, you can only bring two games to a get-together. You bring Beetle Adventure Racing and Diddy Kong Racing. No. Super Mario 64 and Donkey Kong 64. Probably not. WrestleMania 2000 and 1080 Snowboarding, probably not. Space Station Silicon Valley and Command and Conquer 64, probably not. All My Games, You Are Not the Boss of Me, mm. or GoldenEye Mario Party 2. I can only bring two games. I probably would follow the rules, let's be honest. I would bring GoldenEye Mario Party 2, which puts me in smoke for one. Oh, God, I'm really all over the map. You finally get control of the remote. What do you watch on TV? Whatever's on the sci-fi channel. Titanic because it makes me laugh. The X-Files, unless Scooby-Doo is on. ESPN2 or ESPN, Discovery Channel, or I like flipping channels more than watching a whole show. To be honest, listen, this may seem shocking as I am a, an admitted gigantic nerd, but when I turn on a TV and I just kind of want to vibe, I do turn on ESPN. So that puts me in fire yet again. I like to use codes that A, make your character faster or stronger, do it all, make the game sillier with stuff like big heads and goofy computer players, help you get the items or weapons, open up all the levels, reveal hidden items. I like all the levels and that puts me in smoke. Dang. You and your friends attend a costume party dressed as the cast of Super Smash Brothers. As you reach the refreshments table, someone asks you about your favorite candy. You say, raisins are nature's candy. I'm not even completing that one. Candy makes me jittery. Absolutely not. Milky Way bars. So true. I live on candy and soda pop as long as I get my sugar. Wild cherry lifesavers, red pixie sticks, wax lips. Candy will rot your teeth. I'll take some ice water. That puts me in fire, besties, because I do eat a lot of candy. A lot of candy. 
The final question. The doodles in the margins of your old issues of Nintendo Power say, Wave Racer 64 rocks. I think, therefore I am. Airboarding, snowboarding, skateboarding. Mario forever. Bond, James Bond, or Nintendo Power pages are not to be scribbled on. Probably not scribbling on the pages. So this is shocking. These are shocking results. My color is fire. <laughs> I never saw this coming, honestly. Games, WrestleMania 2000, Tony Hawk Pro Skater. You leap before you look and you still pull off a perfect landing. Your friends try to make you play weak characters or teams just so they have a better chance of beating you, but you have the skills to win no matter what. You learn all of the coolest moves, throws, and tricks way before your buddies do, and you won't spill all of your secrets. You like having that edge, at least for a while. I'm extreme, radical, sporty, intense, trickster, and athletic. Hey, when you look at me, do you think athletic? Perhaps, perhaps you should. Perhaps you should. Because that's me. My second place was like a tie between blue, watermelon, and smoke. I had the least for green, which is Super Mario 64 and Tarzan. Adventure platform, seeking, discovering, persistent. That is correct. That is the least likely of me to do anything. Love it. The last big thing I wanted to, or the last couple things I want to dig into from this March 2000 Nintendo Power are the ratings. So they rate all the games that they talk about with releases. Uh, obviously, the top rated game is Pokemon Stadium with an 8.8 .8 out of 10. The only thing that they really beef with is the sound saying, quote, the announcer gets tiresome, which is absolutely the truth. Whenever I play that game, I'm like, can you be quiet for like eight seconds? He's always just like, whoa. You gotta make a move or whatever he says. Like, shh, 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 I'm trying to look at the Pokemon. Please. The lowest rating was a tie between Titus the Fox on Game Boy Color with a 6.0 and Border Zone with a 6.0. Uh, so I gotta say, in terms of games that I wanna pick up this weekend at Classic Game Fest in Austin, Texas, July 23rd and 24th, the Palmer Event Center. I'm not gonna pick up those games, but who knows what I'll find. I'll see you there, dude. Booth 243. I'm excited. I bought, uh, it's a toy. Don't get super stoked, but do get excited. I bought a claw machine that I can put candy in and then it has fake quarters and then people can play the claw machine and I have hand sanitizer. I'm really, really stoked. I'm super stoked on it. So towards the end of the magazine, which I'm assuming most people wouldn't read, I'm just being honest about people reading magazines. Um, they have a, have a thing talking about, you know, it's about Nintendo news. They're talking about how Howard Lincoln is retiring as the chairman of Nintendo of America. And he's leaving to become the CEO of the Seattle Mariners, which I forgot that Nintendo had that whole connection, which is wild. But I love it. But the really interesting part of this article is that they mention um, Nintendo announcing new, new uh, games at this summit where they announced that he was leaving. The game, they mention that there is a Pikachu VRS. Quote, VRS stands for Voice Recognition System, which in this game allows players to communicate directly with Pikachu by giving the cute Pokemon commands through a microphone. I still want that game. Every time I bring up that game, people are like, it sucks. And I'm like, I don't care. I want to talk to Pikachu. I want him to respond to me. Like, I put that specific Hey You Pikachu N64 and game on my Christmas list for years Probably even within the last five years, if I had to like make a list of things I want for Christmas, I want that. And actually last year at Classic Game Fest, the first Classic Game Fest I attended last year, um, 
I saw one and I had VIP access, which if you're going to Classic Game Fest, I do recommend if you want to check out the vendors and like get good, like you'll, you'll find good stuff all weekend, but to like have access to like really dig in, definitely get the VIP access because they, there was a Hey You Pikachu and 64, it got snatched up so fast, dude. Beautiful, gorgeous. Oh, I want one so badly, so badly. With that, we are going to take our second break uh, to, to take a little moment to, to relax and recharge and get stoked for our deep dive into the clear craze, the translucent technological moments that are pretty prevalent in 90s and Y2K gaming. I'm so excited to talk more about this with you. I learned a lot. I'm just so excited. This is all very exciting. This might be our longest episode yet just because I'm so excited about the translucent tech but i hope you're soaked too uh let's dig into this break once again you're listening to today in gaming yesterday my name is emma pearl your host um and i'll see you in a second Welcome back to Today in Gaming Yesterday with me, your host, Emma Pearl. I am so, so, so excited for this deep dive. I had a hard, I'll be honest, I had a hard time finding a deep dive I really wanted to dig into this week, but thankfully I found it. And it's because every few months, honestly, on Twitter, a new thread will pop up and be like, hey, bring back translucent technology. And I agree. Uh, We talked about, obviously, we talked about the fantastic color series of N64s a lot in this issue of Nintendo Power, but then we talked about it briefly in last month's as well. So we're going to dig into the craze. It's known in many circles as, quote, the clear craze. So there's there's a clear craze in terms of, like, not only video games, technology, things like that, but also around other things that are marketed to humans. Uh, the way that it describes me in terms of, like, consumables and things like that is humans like, quote, purity, the way I did this analogy in my head was like, hey, when you're like out and about, you're, you're hiking, you don't want to drink water from a murky pond with like nonsense in it. You want like a clear flowing stream. You're like, ooh, nice. I love it. And so in the 70s and 80s, you know, things were going light, light beer, crystal Pepsi in the 90s, free of dyes and whatever, whatnot. So as I was researching this, there was a suggestion that like the, the translucent technology was tied to this similar idea of like purity, like clear people want clear things to, to feel pure and blah, blah, blah. And I don't think that that's the case personally. It's just my hot take. I like to think of the electronics quote clear craze in terms of like a, a classic, like look at this, like, look what we can do. Look what's happening here. And I do have some evidence to back that up. So in case you didn't know, plexiglass, which is like clear plastic, was invented in the 1930s. Um, In the 1930s, you know, applications of it varied. But in 1939 specifically, there was a Pontiac ghost car that hit the scene. It was the first all transparent car. So it had, you know, instead of having metal, whatever, encasing it, it was plexiglass all the way around. The intention was to, like I said, show the value you get when you buy one. You could see what was going on inside. And to make it really extra fancy, they jazzed up the inside of the car, like those internal bits. They chrome-plated things. They copper-plated things. And we'll kind of get more into that concept later, too. So, you know, after 1939 and they made the ghost vehicle and it was so cool and fancy, 
World War II took up a lot of the acrylics manufacturing. And so when that all ended, it was back in business. Plexiglass and clear casings for things were mostly used by businesses because it was a little bit more of the, the same idea of like, hey, look what we can do. Look at this. And so... You know, it was, you know, they would make a clear radio. They'd make a clear encased TV, but it was mostly just so you could see like, oh, look at the technology you're getting when you buy this. Like me as business wants to sell you this. It's so good. I'm trying to make sure that you can't hear my dog snoring. My little, my little tired potato of a guy that's sedated. <laughs> so... You know, it was mostly just used for like businesses as just like these show models. They wouldn't really sell the translucent ones. And another good example of this too is they would be used for testing. So this one stood out to me for obvious reasons. Apple, you know, they made a, a ton of infamous translucent tech later on. But the first, like one of their first notable translucent pieces of technology, they made 10 clear test units of the 1987 Macintosh SE. They were given to members of the team to make sure that, you know, everything fit together internally well. It was working well. And Christie's Auction House, which featured one of these not too long ago, they suggested that it was specifically to check for the airflow inside and make sure that it was working correctly because the Macintosh SE released in 1987 was the first Macintosh to feature an internal fan like that. So kind of wild. Um, I found one too that was on Antiques Roadshow. Absolutely beautiful. This thing is gorgeous. Of course, I'm going to post a picture of it with the, uh, the episode guide on Twitter. So a lot of people may not think of like the Y2K era in terms of that clear translucent technology. They might instead think of like the 80s because, you know, there may be a, a image in somebody's mind of like a sick corded phone that's clear. Uh, 1988, a company called Cecina made a translucent phone and its whole vibe was that it lit up a color inside when there was a call. So you'd be like, whoa, my phone is lit up. There's a call. Con Air ended up making the one that everyone is most familiar with in 1989. It was translucent with like neon internals. So that kind of started the big shockwave. And then from the 90s on, that's when it really took off across tech and then ended up via, you know, the companies that were game changers in this space making translucent tech. It turned into a real cultural phenomenon of sorts. So I have to talk about Nintendo. Early 90s Japan saw it first in general. This isn't even related to Nintendo. This is just in general. Um, there were pagers in the early 90s that were translucent. And then in terms of Nintendo, the OG DMG01 Game Boy had an all clear version, part of the quote, Play It Loud series that was released in 1995, along with a bunch of other colors. And then the Game Boy Pocket released in 96 had a clear model that was available globally. In Japan, they had an exclusive translucent purple that was released as a Game Boy Pocket. And then I think they released this globally, maybe. There is a gorgeous, unbelievably gorgeous, quote, extreme green Game Boy Pocket that is one of the most beautiful pieces of technology I personally have ever seen. I love it. It's beautiful. Game Boy had, or in Japan, they also had Game Boy Light models that uh, were released in 1998 that were clear yellow and clear blue. And then in 1998, of course, a lot of us remember the Game Boy Color that was atomic purple. That's my Game Boy Color that I had. Um, it, it really made the translucent very accessible at that time because it was the Game Boy Color that was available and a lot of people wanted it. So as we mentioned in this issue of Nintendo Power, there was the Fantastic Color series. There were actually three generations of this. The first generation is the one that we're kind of talking about this month in Nintendo Power. They have the colors, but they also called flavors, but 
Tell me if all these are flavors. They have smoke, jungle, fire, ice, watermelon, grape. And then apparently there's like a midnight blue also. The second generation is a fun colored top of the N64 and then a white colored bottom of the N64, which I actually own. I have a Japanese version of this, which is blue on the top and white on the bottom, referred to lovingly as the Gummy Shark N64. Um, so they they had different versions of that second generation. They had a blue and a red one. Um, I love it. I love my Gummy Sharks N64. It's beautiful. And then they released the third version of the Fantastic Color series as well. And that one, for whatever reason, was just orange and purple. But I had to mention it, of course. Now to talk about Apple. Apple isn't necessarily console gaming in this context, but I feel like you can't talk about this craze of the late 90s, early 2000s without, without talking about Apple and how they did this. But I wanted to note too that a lot of times people think that like Apple invented this. Apple invented translucent technology, which from this, this timeline we obviously see is not true. So they released this basically what seemed to be like a giant PDA. They released that in... They released this giant PDA called the Emate 300 that was released in 1997. And I actually found a really cool article in Macworld written by Benj Edwards that said, quote, I spoke with Thomas Meyerhofer, a former Apple senior designer who led the design of the Emate 300, citing his desire not to rock the boat with Apple or steal glory away from the Apple Design Industrial Group, which, with the exception of Jonathan Ive, uniformly shares achievements as part of company policy. He would not take credit for the introduction of translucent plastics at Apple, although the author said that they think, due to certain patents that Meyerhofer is the originator of the trend so I don't know dude pretty wild he did however also mention that the transparency found in the emate was meant to invoke a sense of accessibility and to differentiate the product from the uniform drab laptops and beige desktop pcs and the use of translucent plastics originated in Apple's design group before Steve Jobs returned to the company. Because I think that's like a huge thing people think of with the iMac G3, the infamous 13 color gorgeous quote blobject that Steve Jobs was able to present and quote deliver. He didn't come up with the translucent plastic though. That was around before he came back. After the iMac G3, as we mentioned, Everybody wanted to jump in. There were third-party Mac accessories that were crafted to match the Mac colors. There were also random speakers, MP3 players, digital cameras. There were also George Foreman grills that matched this aesthetic of clear, translucent, colorful. I love it. This continued into the 2000s as well. There's a gorgeous, gorgeous, beautiful, oh my God, beautiful ocean blue PlayStation 2 that I actually need it's not a want, it's a need, and it's not even that expensive. It's on eBay for like maybe 200 bucks. So if someone bought that for me, I do have a PO box. I wouldn't be mad. I'd be like, I'd be like, thank you. I do need this. This is not a want. There are so many, so many examples from the 2000s. And I don't know if this is true, but in my mind, it felt like, you know, manufacturing gets a little bit cheaper every time, perhaps. And so everybody wants to cash in on this craze. Everybody wants their colorful, translucent moment. Who doesn't want a colorful, translucent George Foreman grill? It felt like it honestly became kind of socially whack at one point. You know, Apple's translucent moment kind of ended in 2006. Apple was like, we're not doing this anymore. And then everybody else just kind of followed suit eventually. And then, you know, I think I think people are kind of nostalgic for this era. There are people who have money now who were growing up during this time period of translucent technology. 
maybe that's kind of the theme of this podcast is getting nostalgic and wanting to spend money on things that remind you of these times. And I think we're, we're starting to even see it now. I have a Nintendo Pro controller, which I didn't even think about. I have on my desk. If you're watching this on YouTube, this has actually been reshelled with a different shell. But the whole thing has like that translucent vibe to it even before I reshelled it, which is kind of sick. There were a couple other considerations, too, for translucent technology that I at least wanted to mention as we kind of think about the impact that this has on the industry and the world. One of these things that I had not considered is the use of transparent electronics in prisons. I wanted to first acknowledge there is a massive issue with the prison industrial complex in the United States. I can state very plainly um, that that is an issue and that folks with uh, records involving marijuana in states where that's legal deserve to have their records expunged and uh, I will make that stand very clearly here. But to, to, to kind of sum up the prison impact of those electronics, you know, they want to ensure that there's not contraband, com- things coming into the prison that wouldn't be allowed. So translucent electronics can be a really good tool. And I actually read in one article that they noticed that an Urban Outfitters was selling like cheap translucent MP3 players that were the exact same translucent MP3 players that were being sold to people that were imprisoned. Kind of interesting um, how that just kind of goes through its own little pipeline. And the other consideration I had too is that making technology have transparent cases can actually be expensive and hard to do if you think about it. So both sides of the plastic, the outside and the inside, if they're translucent, have to look good. They have to be shiny. They have to look nice. Internal screws used to kind of keep things together with electronics, they need to be nice and polished. They can't be super gross looking or people are like, what is that? There can't be wild glue everywhere. Like there may be with some electronics. I I cracked open that uh, claw machine that I bought for my booth this weekend. And uh, because I really wanted to kind of unplug the speaker because it had super loud music that I was just not vibing with. And there's just big gollops, gollops, dollops of glue in that. And I'm like, yo, if this was transparent, you'd be like, look at all that glue. That's a mess. But it's not. It doesn't matter. You know, this doesn't stop manufacturers all the time, especially big ones that want to put the effort into it. But it's definitely a consideration when you think about translucent tech. I will say, though, that a theme that I read throughout this that still kind of, for me, solidifies what the clear and translucent trends did for technology is that it demystified what you were seeing inside, which you may not understand what a motherboard does. You may not understand what RAM looks like or what it accomplishes, but it makes you feel a little bit closer to it. You can appreciate and connect to the technology actually happening inside as opposed to just looking at a beige case, which I think is really sick. I think that contributed to the popularity along with also like the personalization of picking, quote, your color. Like, what's your iMac color? Like, what what fantastic N64 are you? It's kind of sick. It makes you feel special. It makes you feel personalized when you're not just the same gray N64 everyone else has. For right now, like I said earlier, a lot of it is nostalgic and really cool for us. I wrote as I was typing this today, I am literally typing this research on my MacBook Air from 2022 with a translucent gray case. So true. I wanted to see the MacBook Air. I didn't want it to be covered. I wanted to see through it, but still have some color. There was a really funny article I read, though. The The title of this article made me laugh out loud as I was doing this research. It's an article from Gizmodo in 2019 written by Sam Rutherford. The title is don't get nostalgic for this 20th anniversary. Apple's iMac G3 was an awful computer. (laughs) I 
love it. And the quote from this says, I will wholeheartedly admit that in 1998, when pretty much every other desktop was a boring shade of beige, the iMac G3 was a revelation. The thing looked more like a giant piece of candy than a computer. Meanwhile, over in Windows land, the coolest thing at the time was probably the cow print boxes that gateway computers came in. So true. I love those boxes. I have very vivid memories of hanging out playing in those as a child the comment section of course delivered with this one there was a comment that was just two words maybe one word and then one letter that represented a word said f you (laughs) and then a reply to that comment with every word capitalized which is a funny way to leave a comment if you ask me leave my nostalgia alone it's all i have (laughs) which i'm like yeah sometimes you just want to think back fondly to your beautiful colorful translucent technology and love your nostalgia because it may just be all that you have uh what's your hot take on translucent tech were you a fan back in the day and you're not a fan now do you buy things when you see them like if you have a translucent option of something that you want to buy today do you buy it uh do you collect it do you feel good about it when you see it in thinking about this too i actually noticed that the um shifter knob boy of my 2016 Chevrolet Volt has translucent blue on the top of it. And I'm like, I am very into that. So you could say I'm a huge fan. I want to give thank yous again to retromags.com, retrocdn.net, gamedeveloper.com, Wikipedia, the Internet Archive, Nintendo 64 Wiki, Game Boy Wiki, autoevolution.com, builtin.com, Christie's, Auction House website, Antiques Roadshow, the Mac Rumors Forums, and MacWorld.com for helping me with all of this research throughout this episode of Today in Gaming Yesterday. I want to say thank you for listening. Classic Game Fest is this weekend. Like I said, booth 243. It's going to be a blast. I'm so, 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 so excited to see everybody and get some good games and see what it's all about. I'm really excited to see folks there. As I mentioned earlier too, please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast on YouTube if you haven't already. I super duper appreciate everybody's support. I love getting comments about things. Like I said, if you ever need to inform me or want to inform me about stuff, like please feel free to. I absolutely love it. Um, I love to learn things. I love to connect with people about this kind of stuff. So you're never going to bother me if you share a fun fact, if you help share a clarification. I love to see it. Um, with that, I hope that you have an excellent rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening and or watching. Uh, make sure you work hard, be nice, have fun, and I will see you next time. Again, this is Emma Pearl. You just listened to Today in Gaming Yesterday, and I will see you next time.